we do a webinar series where we get experts to come on and talk with me about sort of various topics. You know, the last one of those, we had two and a half thousand registrations for that webinar, you know, over sort of 1,200 people. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have Miles Anderson, who's the founder and CEO of Bright Local, which is an all-in-one reporting platform for local SEO. Miles, how's it going? Yeah, very good, Eric. Very good. Uh, glad that we can get to speak. A uh, bit of a time difference between uh, the UK and the West Coast, but um, yeah, going well today. Great. Ha- happy to have you here. So, why don't you give us a little bit? I just tell us your story, man. Yeah, so uh, I run Bright Local. Uh, I run it with my partner, who is our CTO. Uh, I'm the CEO. I look after, obviously, you know, uh, other uh, other sort of departments, kind of away from the, the kind of technology side of things. We started back in 2009. We worked together at a previous business, which is all to do with uh, kind of uh, local directories and bringing that into a large kind of commercial radio group uh, in the UK. Uh, and then we both decided we wanted to do something different. Um, talk for a while about what that might be, uh, what kind of businesses we might serve. We started Bright Local. We actually started life uh, actually as a search agency, kind of providing search services to local businesses. Uh, hit a few ceilings in terms of our kind of growth. Uh, and also, we also had a passion for developing kind of a software product. My business partner, being a, you know, a long-in-the-tooth developer, wanted to kind of go down that route. And so we looked around at where an opportunity might exist. We tried uh, a couple of things that turned out to be uh, kind of red herrings. We pivoted away from it, and we ended up settling on uh, essentially a, a, a local analytics, local reporting platform, which is what Bright Local uh, has kind of grown into. And yeah, we've kind of grown steadily uh, since 2009, very much in a kind of bootstrap way. Uh, we've never taken any, uh, any outside investment. So we're all kind of homegrown, organic. Brick by brick, we kind of built the business up. We're based in Brighton in the UK. Uh, we've got offices uh, in Kiev where we do our web development. We've got a big uh, offshore team based in the Philippines as well. Uh, and we also have some boots on the ground uh, in various parts of the US. We're about 120 people across all locations, serving around 3,500 customers, mainly SEO experts, marketeers, either in agencies uh, or in large multi-location uh, businesses uh, or you know, out on their own uh, working as, as freelancers. Wonderful. So, Kiev, you know, we, we got to talk about that later too, maybe maybe separately, because I'm actually I'll, I'll be there maybe twice this year. Okay. <laughs> just to talk about just you know having you know developers there, because I've I heard that everything's amazing. Actually, as a matter of fact, just sidebar, my friend, his company does have like over a thousand employees. They do like 131 million a year, and he's like, yeah, you got to get the developers from Kiev. You know, they're really good. These are like Google tier kind of developers. So, keen to get your thoughts. Are your developers Google tier, the ones that are based in Kiev? Hard for me to kind of to, to see what kind of Google tier is, but um, I find them great. We go over about three times a year. We've got about 20, 20 people in our team now, front end, back end, kind of QAs, as well as kind of infrastructure. They work really hard. 
uh, they're problem solvers, lateral thinkers. You know, they come up with the solutions to the kind of business need. So we give them a lot of uh, a lot of kind of latitude in, to, in which to work, and they always do a good job. You know, and then when you go to kind of geek, go to meet them, uh, they're also you know a nice bunch of people uh, as well. I mean, they've been through a rough time, uh, obviously with uh, you know, like I said, the Russian invasion, following on from their own revolution. So it hasn't been an easy period of time. But yeah, I think they're great, and I think it's a it's a, it's a wonderful city to go to, Kiev. I haven't spent much time outside of it in the Ukraine, but I enjoy going there, and I'm going there in about uh, 10 days. So I'm looking forward to that. Love it. Okay. Well, tell us more about the business. I mean, how do you guys make money? How do you guys charge too? Yeah. So we essentially, uh, you know, we're not, we're not, an, uh, we're not a, we're a B2B solution. Uh, we're not enterprise. So we're targeting SMBs and our platform is a subscription platform. So uh, users come along, they get a free trial, they like it. They sort of sign up uh, for the kind of paying solution and then um, they pay on a month to month basis. So we're very kind of sort of flexible uh, and open in terms of, we don't lock them into kind of annual contracts. You know, you, you pay up front, but it's only for, for a month. And essentially, you know, our success you know, we live and die by how good we are. You know, if we do a, a shoddy job, people don't like the platform, they leave. If we do a great job, they stay with us. They stay with us kind of long term. Um, typical customers are uh, kind of marketing agencies that serve either local businesses or kind of multi-location local businesses, kind of regional businesses, you know, up to kind of franchises and brands. Three and a half thousand customers, the majority of those pay us every month on a kind of standard plan. But we also serve some much larger kind of enterprise scale businesses um, because the platform is quite flexible. We can put a lot more volume through it if volume is something that a particular kind of customer needs. So yeah, so it's a it's a subscription uh, SME B2B platform. So when you say standard pricing, I mean, how much is the standard pricing, I guess, per customer? A typical customer, we, we extract about $100 a month out of a typical customer uh, across, a, across, uh, a, across a range of things they might buy from us. Got it. Okay. So I think just, I guess, being a little conservative here, you guys are probably, if, if I break out the numbers and add in, you know, enterprise as well, it's, it's probably close to, you know, 500K or so a month at least. Yeah, it's around that. It's around that mark. Got it. Okay, great. So, I mean, what other numbers can you share around the business? Growth rates, anything like that that you're proud to share? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we've, you know, we've been profitable since 2012. And, you know, the plan has always just been to reinvest that profit. So we reinvested heavily. Even back in 2012, you know, we probably had five full-time staff and, uh, you know, a lot of sort of freelance part-time sort of developers. You know, we're now up to 120 full-time staff across all uh, all locations. Okay, we've never had outside investments. So a lot of it has just basically been reinvesting that profit, you know, month after month to um, to kind of grow the teams, to allow us to scale, scale the technology as well as, you know, sort of scale that on sort of people side support, uh, et cetera. Uh, yeah, so I mean, profit is 2012. Last year, we added about, uh, I think we grew revenue-wise about 60%. So it was a kind of great year for us last year. I'd say we kind of got an average around 30%, you know, uh, 30% on average if you take it from 2012 to 2017. Wonderful. And so when you say, you know, invest back into business, are you literally just pouring all the profits back in and just doubling down? I mean, and so it sounds like you did it for three years or maybe even longer than that? Yeah, I mean, we've, we we always do it. Yeah, I mean, we don't necessarily spend it all. We we kind of you know we kind of growing uh, at a, what I would say a, a, a cautious, relatively cautious rate because you know we've tried to kind of you know we try to you know 
invest in you know additional kind of development teams but with that additional sort of firepower you know there comes you know the need to have a lot more kind of, a lot more on the kind of product management side and the design side and actually we found that our our ability to deliver new features didn't kind of increase in a linear fashion you know we suddenly you know by adding the third team we couldn't suddenly deliver a lot more stuff we actually found that it made it harder to kind of manage it so uh you know we always kind of you know we're kind of cautiously adding new staff as and when we need. Uh, you know, we've added a lot to our marketing team this year, a lot to our kind of customer service. You know, I've got a customer service team uh, of 10 people now, which has probably doubled in the last year. So it's always looking at where, you know, where the, where are the bottlenecks in the business? Where do we want to make that investment? You know, as a, as a SaaS platform, you know, our biggest cost is people. You know, people are, you know, the biggest cost center by a long way. So it's always looking about, about where, where we're not either delivering the, the highest level of kind of customer service that we can do. You know, let's look to kind of increase the headcount there. Uh, if we think actually, you know, we want to, you know, we want to spin off the business into a different area, we want to bring on, bring online, you know, a different sort of feature set. Does that warrant, you know, bringing on a, a different sort of development team? Uh, I think headcount we probably grew by about twenty people last year uh, in headcount, which is probably around, um, probably around twenty percent in numbers. Wonderful. Okay. Well, I guess another question is: so, how, how many people? You said one hundred twenty people. How many are in Kiev? How many are in uh, the UK? And then, I guess, how are you distributed? Yeah. So we have got uh, about twenty and twenty in Kiev, about fifteen in the UK, about three in the US, and the rest are over in our offshore office in the Philippines. Got it. And so, how do you how do you manage all of that? How do you keep the glue together? How do you keep the house together? I guess. The lucky thing is we've 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 kind of grown with this sort of format. So we've had you know we've had you know developers in Kiev since 2011, uh, and we've had uh, teams in the Philippines since around 2010. And so we've just basically kind of grown that sort of steadily each year. So it's not like we have, we brought online a team of 20 in, in the Ukraine and had to establish all our relationships and all our processes from scratch. We've essentially just built out those processes as we've kind of built out the team. So you know we use uh, you know Hangouts a lot. We use Slack an awful lot. Uh, to kind of communicate a lot of the teams are quite sort of self-managing actually so a lot of it is just kind of project updates i mean we do kind of standard kind of daily stand-ups with this sort of development team uh and then we do kind of weekly catch-ups to kind of get a more of a kind of you know top level sort of project delivery sort of overview uh the team in the philippines is relatively sort of self-managing so we have kind of you know sort of three three meetings a week with the management uh sort of team over there uh, all over all over slack uh, or hangout Got it. And so how do you let's say you're looking for people uh, in the Philippines or even in Kiev? I mean, how do you how do you source this talent and do you run them through any any kind of assessments? I guess what's your process for especially people that you haven't met before? Yeah, I mean, it's all done locally. So if we bring on new developers, then they're interviewed by uh, the you know, two or three of the development uh, managers uh, over in the Ukraine. We recruit through various websites and through kind of agencies, depending on the skill set that we're looking to bring in. Uh, in the Philippines, you know, again, it's recruitment locally, uh, and everyone is kind of reviewed and vetted over there. More often than not, we've recruited through through known networks, so people who know other people kind of bring them in, or through universities that we've established um, uh, kind of relationships with. Got it. And when you say you, uh, various websites that you're using, is there anything that you can speak of, speak highly of? Oh, I mean, I actually don't know the names. I don't do the, rec- the recruitment uh, in that would be in in the Ukraine. I mean, in the UK, we use a, a bunch of sort of websites. You know, there's a great one for the local area that we're based in called Brighton called Wired Sussex. Uh, there's a very big uh, kind of marketing tech community uh, down in Brighton, so uh, we use that as a sort of primary source. But in the Ukraine, we've got a, we've got sort of two or three agents that we use, as well as a couple of websites. But I, I couldn't tell you the uh, the names of them. Got it. Okay. Well, I mean, tell us, I mean, what's working for you? What's, uh, what's working really well for you in terms of customer acquisition today? 
Yeah, so a lot of our, I mean, all our, all our acquisition is is, uh, is inbound. So uh, we don't have any salespeople in the organization. It's all kind of essentially kind of marketing generated leads, bringing people into a funnel. Uh, a lot of it is self-serve, so people sign up for a free trial uh, and then they'll convert. Uh, but we also look to lead nurture people that we think are higher value customers or kind of best fit customers. And so the customer success team will, will reach out to them, get them on a demo, get them on a, a kind of 30-minute kind of one-to-one call and talk them, talk them through the platform. So a lot of it is brought in through our, our, our in-our marketing uh, activities. Uh, a lot of that is kind of content-based. So uh, we've always uh, produced a lot of kind of thought leadership content. We do a lot of um, a lot of research pieces about what's going on uh, in the sort of search industry. Uh, we do a big study into how consumers are interacting with online reviews uh, called the Local Consumer Review Study. We've been doing that for probably six years in a row, uh, and that gets a huge amount of traction, a huge amount of, of pickup, both within industry press, but also because kind of you know online reputation and reviews and how that impacts Packs, purchasing decisions is has a slightly kind of wider interest area. So, you know, been picked up by places like the Guardian newspaper, uh, the BBC, um, CNN. So, you know, larger kind of uh, sort of mainstream news organisations have kind of picked that up. And we've just been kind of layering on top of our kind of content strategy for for a long time. We do a, we do a webinar series where we get experts to come on and talk with me about sort of various topics. You know, the last one of those we had two and a half thousand registrations for that webinar. You know, over sort of twelve hundred people turned up. So, you know, really good really good numbers. But it's been over time. It's been very much about building the brand through building uh, authority content, proving to our customers that we are we know a lot about you know kind of digital marketing and you know SEO in particular, and also providing them with information they can use in their jobs. So providing them with information that allows them to benchmark how they're doing as a business against their competitors. So we do an industry survey that looks at everything from income, how people are charging, is it on a retainer, is it on a project basis? And then also how does that differ for, for small agencies, big agencies and freelancers? Uh, and then that's quite useful for our customers because they can therefore benchmark themselves to see if they're earning the same amount of income per customer per month as you know, others in the industry. Uh, and also it allows them to identify maybe different strategy options in terms of different sort of solutions and products that others are selling that maybe they're not, that they might bring into their kind of product set. So we try to look at how we can produce research uh, and studies that help our customers become more effective at what they do or um, things that allow them to sell better. So our consumer review study, for example, lots of great stats in there about how consumers are using online reviews to find local businesses and also determine which local business to end up using. They can then take that data onto their customers and saying, you really should be doing reputation management and here are some really great supporting stats to uh, to kind of back that up. And that's proved very popular. So, you know, as well as providing a tool set that customers can use to essentially kind of run local reports and understand local performance, we're giving them data that allows them to improve their own businesses. And that rubs off nicely on our brand. That gets shared a lot, a lot of word of mouth, and that brings bring customers in. I mean, we probably we do also do some, some PPC as well. It's really the only kind of pay channel uh, that we use. But we spend less than $5,000 a month uh, on PPC. So let's say, you know, I opt into your, your industry report and, you know, I'm your ideal customer. What does that funnel look like? How does your, your team decide, you know, I guess, how does that sequence look? So just so people have an idea of how they might be able to work that out for themselves. Yeah, all our content is freely accessible on the website. So we don't lock any content behind, you know, kind of, you know, kind of email, uh, email forms or kind of contact forms. Um, you know, our philosophy is, A, we want, you know, we want kind of Google to have full access to that content. So that kind of benefits our, our kind of organic ranking. Our, our organic traffic grew uh, about 90% last year. 
So we sort of huge, huge success uh, in kind of growing our organic traffic. Uh, and also, you know, we're here to serve our customers. We're here to be useful to them. Uh, and so by essentially forcing stuff to be behind logins, uh, I think that kind of goes against the, our, our mission to serve. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. So tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing this business. Yeah, and I was uh, I was having a think about this as one of the questions that, that, that sort of might pop up. I mean, in the very early days before we uh, before we you know, essentially stumbled upon you know what is Bright Local today, very nearly built kind of um, a CRM system for SMBs, which at that time this is back in kind of 2008. There are obviously a few around, uh, but we thought we could uh, we could kind of do it better, and that was actually our really my first foray, having worked you know having worked in house within organisations, getting paid a salary. This is my sort of first foray into kind of entrepreneurship. Uh, and we went through a whole uh, kind of very, very detailed sort of product specification, getting detailed designs down and really kind of thinking about the, the kind of usability. Uh, and then we essentially handed that sort of specification off to actually a development house somewhere in, somewhere in Russia. And, um, you know, they kind of came back and quoted and it was basically going to use up all the capital that, we, that, I'd, that I'd saved essentially through my sort of savings to put into it. Uh, and, you know, almost, almost at the, like the, you know, the 11th hour, we just pulled back from that and thought, hang on, what are we doing? You know, what happens if this goes wrong? How are we going to actually have any money to kind of run this and support this, you know, after the kind of build phase is, uh, is complete? Uh, and so having put all that work in, we just took a couple of steps back and rethought things, things again uh, and ended up kind of going with Bright Local, uh, which I think was probably the, the biggest near miss uh, that, we, uh, that we had because I think that would have, um, we would have ended up in a world of pain uh, having gone down that uh, original sort of planned, planned route. So I think that was a case solved just being really, you know, being – acutely we almost kind of stumbled into that with our eyes shut and luckily opened up opened them at the last minute and i think you know as people who are developing sort of products from the kind of ground up that awareness and alertness to your situation is absolutely critical you need to be kind of nimble and adaptive and you'd be prepared to kind of make hard decisions you know having gone through that process of really thinking this product idea through specifying it we decided actually we weren't going to go through with it you know that was quite that was quite a hard decision to make absolutely the best decision that I ever have made. In terms of other sort of challenges, you know, when I started the business, I had, uh, you know, I had a young family. I had uh, two young kids. So I've now got four. And, you know, there's a lot of personal challenges kind of thrown in with trying to grow a business at the same time as growing a, growing a young family. There's a lot of, you know, a, you know, it's a big fear factor in terms of, you know, is this going to be something, something that grows big enough to kind of support my family and, you know, give them uh, a lifestyle that I'd like them uh, like them to have. Uh, and so there's a lot of sort of personal challenges on that side of things. But also as an, as an entrepreneur, in a bootstrapped business where you haven't got the ability to go and, you know, uh, employ specialists in marketing, specialists in on the kind of product side of things. You've got to wear many hats. You need to be able to kind of do everything. And you've got to develop those skills on the job. Uh, and so you've got to develop them rapidly while keeping the kind of business sort of moving forward. There isn't a lot of comfort time to to kind of create, you know, you know, learn these skills, you know, try them out in a kind of safe environment before, you know, unleashing them onto your product. Uh, so it requires you know, quick adaption, quick development of new skills, ability to turn your hand to, to almost everything from, you know, from accounts to, you know, uh, you know, kind of creating wireframes, you know, through to being able to kind of speak to customers on the phone and a lot of energy kind of needed to it. So, you know, I think juggling that, uh, actually when I first started the business for the first three years, I had a full-time job and my, and, uh, my, my day used to go like this. I used to get up at uh, 6.30 in the morning, get my kids up, give them breakfast, get them ready for school. And then I would go off to my day job at about 8.30. I would leave that at about 6.30, get home about 7.30, have supper with my wife. And then I would work from 9 till about 3 in the morning. And then I'd sleep from 3 till 6.37, get up and go again. Uh, rinse and repeat. So I was probably getting about four, hour, four to five hours sleep maximum a night for about three years until I got to the business to 
again, you know, um, again, an MMR, uh, MRR level that I could basically kind of just ditch the J job, step into that, and you know, what MRR was that? I think it was about twenty grand a month, twenty twenty five grand a month. It wasn't a lot, but you know, we grew slow. You know, we didn't have any money. You know, people always say to me, you know, you know, you know, the success you've had, did you always know you were going to have it? And uh, I would say, no, I actually thought we were going to, I thought we were going to fail when I started this. Got it. So you're saying it took three years to get to 20K MRR? Yeah, it did. It did. But, you know, if you think about that time, we had no budget to, to spend, really. You know, we had no full-time developers. Uh, it was just uh, myself, my business partner, uh, just kind of slowly coming up with ideas and developing it, writing content. You know, uh, I, used to, I used to do a lot of stuff on the train, but to and from, you know, the kind of day job uh, that I had, like kind of getting stuff done. And but at the time, you know, I also was, you know, playing a lot of my own salary back in at that point as well. So there wasn't really a lot of, a lot of money kind of trickling down, uh, into, uh, into the sort of family. But when I started the business, yeah. you know, the first time, you know, I've been working, I've been employed, you know, in a, you know, relatively well-paid job, sort of doing business development for, for various sort of tech and sort of media companies. And so I had no experience of entrepreneurship. I had no money and I actually had a pretty minimal sort of industry understanding. So, you know, I had all those things going, you know, kind of stacked against me. Uh, and uh, I kind of slightly treated the experience as, as upskilling myself, you know, kind of putting myself out there, putting myself in a situation where I had to develop a whole lot of new skills that should it, should it all fail and, and not, you know, not, not succeed, I would be able to kind of change jobs and be employable in an industry area that I wanted to kind of move into. So, uh, yeah, I always had that at the, at the back of my, at the back of my mind for the first couple of years until, until we prove, until we proven the concept. Okay. So you're, you're working your business development job and then, um, you said you, in the beginning it was an agency, right? Yeah. Okay. It was the agency. And then you have maybe, you know, two or three more pivots and then, then you landed on bright local and then that's how you eventually got to the 20 K MRR. So what I guess my point is for, for people listening, it's, it's not, you know, entrepreneurship, this thing's not very linear. I think even, even the people that have businesses, even sometimes I need reminders where it's just like, yeah, you're going to run into struggles and you're going to go, you're going to zig, zig and zag around. And that's exactly what happened to you. Right. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think that the thing that carried us through was just um, being really alert to what what feedback we were getting from customers. You know, so before we launched the main sort of right local, uh, we got a lot of people to sign up for beta. And I remember, I remember the I remember the best thing about one day, you know, I had a sort of early sort of smartphone back then, and I remember one day, you know, just getting my my phone going, bing, 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 these little emails coming in, and it was people registering for our beta. And I remember suddenly we'd gone from like no, no registrations to like 250 people who wanted to know more about it. I thought, oh my God, that's amazing. Where'd they come from? Uh, I think we'd done some early kind of word of mouth sort of marketing uh, and we'd use some communities to kind of, you know, canvas opinion and get it out there. And actually we also launched, uh, we launched a, a free little, a free little um, badge button that you could put on your website which would link you through to various sort of local directories. And that's something that we just kind of put out there. And that's kind of what got people sort of interested in us in the sort of first place. Uh, but that was a great, you know, that was a, that made me feel, you know, a lot more kind of a bit positive that there was demand out there. And then we just really kind of listened to what people, people said about the platform. They said what they wanted, you know, we read forums, the kind of local community. We obviously kind of canvassed opinion for the people who were sort of trying us out. Uh, and that, you know, and we, we were pretty nimble about kind of rolling out new features, you know, cunning features that, you know, people kind of weren't interested in. And that was great. I mean, it's amazing, you know, it's just, you know, just essentially just getting live, live paying users to give you feedback on your product, um, that's going to make them, you know, pay, pay more, pay for longer. It's a great, it's a great when you can, you can get access to that, um, that feedback. I love it. And so in the very beginning, the early days, what percentage of those free trials became paying customers? I mean, I think, uh, you know, we've had kind of conversion 
you know, somewhere between sort of 10 and 15% throughout pretty much. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of in there. I can't remember back in the, back in that day, what the level was, but somewhere between 10 and 15%. You know, I've had a couple of people on the, on this podcast where they transition from agency and they switch strictly to focus on their SaaS products. So let's say Raven tools, for example, right? Mm-hmm. So for you guys, I'm curious, you know, how did that transition go for you guys? Did you just quit cold Turkey? Was it like a transition? What happened? No, it was a transition. So uh, we, we never had a, we never had a, a huge number of customers. I mean, basically, because, you know, there weren't, there's my business partner and myself, uh, and we hit some ceilings pretty quickly in terms of our time and time and resources. Uh, and so, you know, and, and we also looked around to see whether there were any other tools to help us, you know, kind of automate various activities. And there wasn't really anything kind of fit for purpose. Hence, we decided to kind of go and build it, but build it initially for ourselves. And then, you know, look to kind of custom to make it uh, more kind of generic uh, and you know, improve the UX so that other customers, other people outside of us would want to kind of make use of it. So, yeah, so we, um, we tra- tra- transitioned a few clients on to uh, other agencies. Uh, and we, um, at a certain point in time, we, we had, had a few agencies that were on, a few customers on sort of small retainers. We said, you know what, in two months' time, it time's up. You know, you can either transition now or, uh, you know, you can, uh, you know, the time stops then. But we moved most of the customers on by that point. But frankly, most of our revenue was already coming from Bright Local by that point. The nice thing about having, having those other customers on the agency side is that, our customers are now agencies. It just kind of kept meant that we it kept our hand in with the issues and the needs that agencies had as we built a product right. for agencies, which was which was good. Got it. You know that, that's so funny. That's exactly what's happening right now. It's like there's kind of a disconnect because there's yeah, I have an agency, but then the product like a lot of agencies want to use it. So it's like it's 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 a good problem to have, I guess. So in terms of pricing, I'm curious. So you have the standard pricing that's for, you know, each user, right? So how do you go about pricing for people that want to buy in bulk? Because pricing is always a hairy, tricky problem. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a very flexible platform that has sort of various modules of what you can use it for. So if you sign up for a standard plan, you know, there's three standard plans. They range from $30 a month up to $80 a month. And then if, you're, if your needs, which generally is around volume, greater than that, then we just have a negotiation. You know, I mean, we try to be priced pretty fairly and we try to be flexible to accommodate the way different partners work. They have different setups. They have different projects, different scale clients. And so we actually we actually enter each negotiation with a with a kind of clean slate, knowing, you know, what our what our range is, but also need to understand what the customer's objectives are. And so, you know, we, we try to be as transparent around the kind of pricing and we also try and be flexible so that we're not making people pay for things they don't need. And that they're paying a fair price. Got it. Makes sense. Okay, working towards wrapping up here. So, what's one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value to your life, like Evernote, for example? Uh, in terms of tools that I use personally, could be personally, could be for you know, could be for the business. Oh, I see. But okay, not something on our own platform. What do I? What have I added in? Uh, uh, I mean, Slack is Slack has been a you know a heaven sent for us in terms of kind of streamlining kind of communication. Uh, and unifying you know, the history of communication into whenever we used to use Skype, uh, and that had all sort of you know kind of sort of problems in terms of you know looking at kind of historic information. Uh, I think uh, we use a lot of we use a lot of other kind of marketing tools, but you know they're generally generally sort of used by our uh, our marketing team. How about what is if you had to pick one book and and it could be any book could be you know business or anything or fiction right? Uh, what's one book you'd recommend to everyone? Uh, I always enjoyed reading Rework, which is by the guys from 37 Signals. Uh, that was a book. I mean, it's very old now, but uh, that always helped me kind of sort of shape my, our development philosophy. Uh, it's also incredibly easy to read. Uh, I really, uh, really enjoyed uh, really enjoyed reading that. 
Uh, I read a very amusing book the other day called Disrupted, which is a kind of insider's view at HubSpot, which uh, I thought was hilarious and uh, a real page turner. Have you read that? No. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it doesn't tell you anything about how to run a business. It's not, <laughs> a, it's not, a, it's not a, sort of a self-help business book, but it's about the inside of a tech business. Uh, and if you work in a tech business or a tech business, how sometimes blind you can be to um, some of the stuff that you think is best practice, but which when you take away that kind of sort of tech world lens, just seems a bit silly. And um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's quite, I don't know how much of it is true about HubSpot, but I certainly laughed a lot reading it. And uh, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a, good, a good antidote to some of those more heavy, uh, heavy sort of business books. I love it. Well, Miles, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? Uh, well, you can obviously find us through Bright Local. If you want to uh, email me personally, it's miles at brightlocal.com. Miles is spelled slightly odd. It's M-Y-L-E-S. Uh, or obviously, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, hopefully, by now, we've built up a big enough brand profile that a quick search for Bright Local, uh, you'll get through to the right, the right place. Wonderful. Miles, thanks so much for doing this. Great. Thanks a lot, Eric. All the best. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.